welcome back to episode 7 of Weed, Wild, and Woke. My name is Nina, as most of you already know by this point. Uh, Thank you for coming back for 7 freaking episodes. That is 7 weeks worth of episodes that have already been released. That is pretty wild. Um, My mind is blown that we've actually made it this far. Uh, I appreciate you for listening and giving me all your feedback over the last week. It's been amazing. As you know, we always start off with a check-in where I just talk a little bit about how my week has been, um, you know, kind of post some highlights about my personal life, which I always enjoy, like I always say every week. Um, It's one of my favorite portions. Uh, A lot of you guys don't know that I had covid Uh, two weeks ago, and I was quarantining. Um, I'm pretty sure I got it from my parents. So I was just resting and taking much needed time for myself. Uh, And I pretty much just ended up sleeping for like 10 days straight. I really didn't get anything done. I didn't stream on Twitch very much. I've kind of slowed down a little bit on, on, on that front just to take care of my mental health and my physical well-being and taking that break was just really nice and spending time with my partner. Um, it, it was a nice little break, I guess. I didn't have to go to work and luckily my symptoms were not terribly awful. So I got very, very lucky. I've had COVID before. Um, and so, you know, I was just dealing with that. Um, other than that, there's hasn't been too much. There was something else I wanted to touch on, but I completely forgot. Um, I'm going to start subbing here soon. So I'm going to have a normal job where I make a salary where I can actually afford to survive, which is super nice. I'm very excited about that. But I'm more excited about what we're going to be talking about today. I have been waiting to do this episode for so long and I just wanted to feel ready and prepared. And I feel like I'm finally at that point now where I can be mentally prepared to kind of dive into this topic. And even then, we're just going to kind of breeze over it. Um, It it goes so much deeper than I'm going to be able to cover in this episode today. Uh, So today's episode is on empaths. I am an empath. I identify as an empath. And so we're going to kind of unpack what that means to me, what it means to society, and just kind of where I think this term is headed in today's world, and it's also pretty controversial, believe it or not. Um, I've had some people give me some pushback about this topic and how they feel about it and whether or not they think it's real. You know, it doesn't, I mean, we'll, we'll hash this all out. There's there's a lot to unpack here, but I'm so excited. I, like I said, I've been wanting to do this for so long, and I'm so excited to finally share it with you all. So as always, I'm going to start with kind of how I came upon this subject and how I created the idea to really go into depth about this and why I think it's so important. Uh, And I think that, I mean, for me personally, my journey as an empath started like most things that I talk about on this podcast in therapy. I was sharing with my therapist a lot about my personality and my character and what I perceived to be character flaws within myself. And through the work of therapy, I think it took about a good year into therapy. 
uh, when my therapist finally, finally was like, have you ever heard the term empath? And at that point, I had, I had been on Instagram for quite a while. And as you all know, there's always the self-help section on Instagram, you know, there's always um, psychologists and, you know, and like quotes going around and images about empaths and what it's like to be an empath. And so I had, I had heard this term before. It wasn't my first time. And like most of you, you probably have heard the term as well. Um, but it wasn't until therapy when my therapist, it, I mean, it was shocking to me because you hear about these things in like uh, media and culture. And when those things cross over into therapy, it's a little bit shocking. So when she had brought it up to me, I was like, yeah, I've heard the term. And she's like, oh, have you heard about this book? And the book was uh, The Empath's Survival Guide by Judith Orloff. She is a medical doctor. Um, who wrote a book about basically how to deal with being an empath or are you an empath um, and its life strategies for sensitive people. And I had never heard of this book before therapy. And as soon as my therapist gave it to me, I read every page. I think I read the first page and I had to close the book because I started crying. Uh, that's how deeply this book has touched me and affected my life. And and that was the first time that I think I felt really understood in society by someone, anyone, um, especially my therapist, I felt so loved and understood. And it was the first time that I was like, holy crap, there is literally nothing wrong with me. I just identify as an empath. And it's the same as getting a diagnosis. Like when I got diagnosed with anxiety, generalized anxiety disorder, I was so relieved. And a lot of people feel that way about their diagnoses when they get them, that like finally what they're going through has a name. It has something viable that you can search and Google and do research on. And that's that happened while I was in college. So I was already an adult. And so I read this book and I was just fascinated. Like I was instantly drawn into this world of empaths and I finally understood so much about myself. And it was such a light in the darkness to be able to identify why I am the way I am and tools that I can finally use to manage my depression and anxiety at the time. Um, so after my therapist introduced me to the book, it was all came over. Um, and I started, you know, finding a bunch of empath things on Instagram and I would share them. And I had so many people, it was the first time in my life where I really had so many people uh, writing me DMs and messaging me about the content that I was posting because they felt like it was so relevant to them. And like, this isn't going to apply to everybody. So if you're listening to this and these things don't, I don't know, don't make sense to you or you don't understand them or they seem a little bit vague, it's probably because you're not an empath. Um, but I still think that it's important for you to listen if you're trying to learn because there's probably a lot of people in your life that do identify as empaths and needed to be treated accordingly. So even if this doesn't pertain to you personally, it could help you in your relationships with other people who might also identify as empaths. And there's a very specific way that you have to deal with empaths. And I'm definitely going to talk about a lot of those tips and, and tricks, but that's essentially how I came upon this um, empath concept. And from there, it was it was just uphill learning about 
empaths as much as I could, um, to the point that I even wrote my uh, the author of the book, Judith Orloff. I actually wrote her um, when I was doing my research in college because I had convinced my mentor. At first, he was not for it. I told him about the empath concept, and he's like, is there research to back it? And I was like, no, this is a very new concept. It's a, lo- a lot of it is based in spirituality, and you know, a lot of it is intuitive. And it took a lot of convincing for me to talk my mentor into letting me do my research on empaths. And I spent a good couple of months gathering research and and data and trying to explain to him how empaths differ from normal people who experience empathy. And eventually, I, I think this is one of my proudest moments in life, my uh, mentor, you know, who has his doctorate, he's a professor at the college, finally allowed me to do my research and was surprised by the results of my research because I had built such a good case for empaths and and ran this whole study on empaths and I found results that supported my thesis which was really exciting and I'll talk about that some more as well but I mean um it's going to be higher level but I'll try to just make it digestible and easy to understand as much as possible. I mean, it's going to be difficult, but like I said, I'll do my best. I'm just overly excited. So I have a decent amount of knowledge on this topic, I would say, up to this point now. I'm not just spewing things out of my butt, you know, where I've actually researched it and I experience it myself. So for those of you who are newer to this concept or don't follow me actively on Instagram, We can define being an empath uh, using Orloff's explanation. So she describes empaths as those who absorbs uh, those who absorb the world's joys and stresses like emotional sponges. And so in the book, she suggests that empaths lack the filters that most people use to protect themselves from excessive stimulation and can't help but take in surrounding emotions and energies, whether they're good, bad, or something in between. And then you have Kim Eagle. I think it's Eagle. Uh, in Sa- she's a San Diego-based therapist. I live in the LA area, so she's very local to me. She expands on this idea a little bit further by adding that empaths have a higher sensitivity to outside stimuli, such as sounds, big personalities, hectic environments, and they bring a lot of heart and care into the world because they feel things very deeply. And so the important distinction here that I like to tell everybody is is most people have empathy, right? We know what empathy means. We know where it comes from. Um, it's just the ability to understand the experiences and feelings of others outside of your perspective. So if your friend's dog dies, you know, and you've felt that level of pain, somebody with empathy is going to, or yeah, a person with empathy is going to understand the level of pain that their friend is going through, even if they've never lost a pet themselves. Um, As an empath, they take things a step further, and they actually internalize and absorb and sense and feel the emotions as if they're a part of our own experience. So, In other words, someone else's pain and happiness becomes your pain and happiness. And you literally internalize that and you you become that, you feel that genuinely. And I've always felt that growing up. Um, I've always been overly sensitive and a lot of people never understood how I was able to take that empathy to another level. Like I would get physically ill 
when people would tell me things, uh, sad stories or happy stories, you know, I would get overly excited and I would actually feel the emotions that they were feeling. And that's so hard to describe to people, that sensation of like taking on another person's emotions. It's very intense. And I felt that my whole life. And I always thought that there was something wrong with me. I, you know, I've been called overly sensitive and I've been called a drama queen and, you know, you name it, I've heard it. And I always just thought that I was different. Um, and I felt very isolated because of that. And I didn't know that this was actually kind of a gift. Um, it wasn't until I was in my adult years that I realized this is a beautiful gift that I can use to help people. And that's what, it, you know, steered me towards psychology and wanting to help other people because I really can get a good sense of people um, just by being in their presence or reading their nonverbal cues or their facial expressions. Like I'm very in tune with that. And I'm also very intuitive. I always have been. Ever since I was little, I can feel when other people's energies are off. I can uh, feel hostility. I can feel anger. You know, I, I pick up on those things very, very easily. And I've always been like this. This isn't something that just sprung up. This is definitely deeply embedded into my personality. And so I was really excited when I, you know, I could actually put a name to this. And I still get excited to this day because it's it's such a huge part of who I am. And it's become such a beautiful part of something that I love about myself. And I haven't been able to say that for much of my life, that I love myself. Um, but I do love this part of myself. It's I nurture it and I do everything that I can to make sure that I'm protecting myself so that I can be helpful to others. So when I do a quick Google search on what is an empath, um, I come across a site, um, it's healthline.com, and they have some signs that you might be an empath, and I just feel like I wanna quickly go through them because a lot of them I've experienced. Um, so the first one is you have a lot of empathy, probably more than others. You take it a step further. Uh, you internalize other people's joys, pain, happiness, you know, sadness, whatever. Closeness and intimacy can overwhelm you, which is definitely, I mean, at one point, my therapist thought I had Asperger's because I have a limit when it comes to physical touch um, and intimacy. And that limit is, you know, very easy to teeter around. Um, but it just comes from me being empath. Sometimes I get a little bit overloaded, sensory overload. But another sign is you have good intuition. This is a little bit harder to identify within yourself unless you're really self-aware, um, which a lot of people aren't. But if you are, this could be one of the signs that you are an empath. Uh, you take comfort in nature. I definitely do. I love nature. I love alone time in nature. I love hiking. I love walking around barefoot. I've always been this way. Um, I, I don't know why. It, it, supposedly, you know, it's a break from overstimulation, which I totally understand. Um, another sign is you don't do well in crowded places. This goes along with the sensory overload idea. Um, another sign is that you have a hard time not caring. This was huge for me. Even when I was hurt or betrayed or, I don't know, somebody did something to me, like I had a really hard time not caring. Or when people tell me, oh, their opinions don't matter, just 
do you like that doesn't work for me and I've explained this to my partner so many times like it's very hard for me not to care it goes against my very nature and being another sign is that people tend to tell you their problems I can feel this on a spiritual level I always had people coming to me to tell me their problems. People always vent to me. People always come to me for advice. And for a very long time, I thought this was just because I was a Virgo. And Virgos by nature are very caring and motherly. Um, But it turns out it's because I'm also an empath, which I love. Another sign is that you have high sensitivity to sounds, smells, or sensations. Uh, I definitely have that. Sometimes fragrances are a little bit... Uh, too intense for my nose, physical sensations. Um, if I'm trying to read a book and there's music playing in the background or or tapping or something, I'm very hypersensitive to that. Um, everything is elevated to another level when it comes to my senses. Um, another sign is you need time to recharge. A lot of people are surprised by my ability to be alone and need a lot of alone time and my partner still struggles with this. I mean, not so much anymore. I think he understands a little bit more, but I mean, it was definitely something for him to get used to is I'm very independent and I need time alone to recharge. And if I don't have that, I become a very cranky, overwhelmed, anxious person. Another sign is not liking conflict or avoiding conflict because you're not only dealing with your own feelings and reactions, but you're also absorbing the emotions of the other people who are involved, and that can be really difficult. So that's another sign that you might be an empath. Another sign is uh, if you often feel like you don't fit in or you tend to isolate. That's Those are huge ones. They tend Not all empaths are introverts. There are extroverted empaths and introverted empaths. I am an introverted empath, so that one definitely resonated with me. Another sign is you have a hard time setting boundaries, which we'll talk about a little bit more later. And another sign is you see the world in unique ways. Um, And you sometimes find it tough to cope with sensory and emotional overload. So these are a lot of signs that typically would indicate that someone may or may not be an empath. Um, But more often than not, um, empaths will identify with most of these of these signs or symptoms. I won't say symptoms because it sounds very medical, but signs, things you can look out for. And I feel like if you're an empath and you are hearing this for the first time and you're like, wow, I am all of those things, then I highly urge you to go take the quiz. Um, Am I an empath? I think Judith Orloff has... I mean, there's several versions of it online that you can find nowadays that are a little bit less formal, but it will at least give you an idea if you think that you might be an empath. Uh, So those are some general signs that you might be an empath that I found online. Um, But obviously, I want to go into a little bit more of what an empath, being an empath means for me personally, and what I found along my journey, and then kind of give you some highlights from Orloff's book that really stood out to me and that I think are really special and then hopefully provide you with some tips for communicating with an empath or just being empathic. So this is just very dear to my heart and I hope that you guys really take it seriously because this is me putting like my entire personality out on the line and making myself really vulnerable and this is very difficult for empaths to do. So you know I just I hope that um 
it brings somebody something. I know a lot of people have been waiting for this episode to come out because we've had these conversations before. So I'm doing my best to try and elaborate and be very transparent with how I feel about it and how I navigate it and, you know, where I kind of stand in terms of this concept of being an empath which I think is important. So I just, I hope you you take this journey with me. So the signs that I just read off were signs that I found online when I googled what is an empath. But back in September, I had written a list in my phone about what being an empath is for me personally. And this came literally from just my experience, my knowledge on what I had learned, and what I felt being an empath was like for me. So I'm going to kind of take you down a more personal list that I wrote on my own volition (laughs) to try to understand myself a little bit better. And the first thing on that list was being highly intuitive, uh, being deeply tied to my gut and my instincts, even if I don't always act on them, which is similar to another, you know, sign that we just saw online. But for me, it was definitely the number one sign was I'm very intuitive. I know when people are upset with me, I can kind of gauge what people are going to do based on their reactions. I'm very sensitive to people's tones when they speak to me. I am very sensitive to people's nonverbal cues, facial expressions, uh, body movements, body language, Something as simple as an eye shift tells me a lot about a person. And I think that that is what will, you know, eventually make me a good therapist. But in my day-to-day life, it's what really connects me to people is I can understand them very well based on those intuitive and nonverbal cues. Um, So that was a huge sign for me in the very beginning that I was an empath. The second thing was taking on others' experiences and emotions as my own, whether I wanted to or not. Didn't matter if they were big, small, negative, helpful, harmful, heavy, light. It was very hard for me to sever a connection once it's opened or to ignore it. And we'll circle back to how to avoid this later. There are some tips that I've found work for me and may potentially work for you. But, you know, for me, it was definitely taking on others' experiences. So I think the best example that I have of this is my mom is also highly anxious. She has an anxiety disorder as well. However, she does not identify as an empath. And she has talked to her therapist about this, and I've I've talked to her about this. And, you know, it's interesting because she's my mother and genetically we're very similar and we both have anxiety disorders, but she does not identify as an empath and I do. So that was an important, cool distinction that I had very early on. And it explains why when she was anxious, like my mom is, she doesn't have OCD, but she's very particular. And I think it stems from her anxiety about her cleanliness. And so when she would get anxious about anything being dirty or out of its place, I would pick up on that anxiety and I would mirror it. And so her anxiety would suddenly become my anxiety and then I wouldn't know why I was anxious. Uh, I had picked that up somewhere along the way and it didn't belong to me, but I would feel it. Or if someone was upset or angry, 
I would internalize that and I would start to feel upset and angry, even if I had no reason to be upset or angry. I would just suddenly be upset and angry and be like, and be like, where did I pick this up from? This doesn't even belong to me. And so that was a huge eye opener for me was kind of realizing that I I did this in the first place. The third thing was being sensitive. I cry a lot. I experience my emotions in extremes and I feel everything very deeply. I'm super proud of this trait because although I appear cold and unattached a lot of the time, which I've been told I have resting bitch face, I've been told to smile more. Like I said, I've heard it all. <laughs> but I'm I'm proud of this trait because even though I appear this way, like I'm very in tune with my feelings and expressing myself and I choose to remain quiet most of the time because not everyone deserves to share my insight, which I've learned over the years. So I don't know if you guys remember that image that went around the internet. Um, I think it's still circulating to this day, but it's like two different types of people, right? And you have one person spewing out all of the stuff that's in their brain and then their little thought bubble is empty because they just, the, everything flies out of their mouth. They have no filter. And then there's another person who keeps everything in, but their thought bubble is full. So sometimes knowledge isn't always just what you spew out. It's what you also withhold and knowing when to withhold that knowledge. That was super important for me in my journey. Uh, but I am very sensitive and I usually keep most of my ideas and thoughts inside my brain. Um which is why we started the podcast, so I can get them out of my brain in a meaningful way. But if you catch me out in public, I usually keep most things to myself um, because I am very sensitive. And the fourth thing on that list is giving all of me. This is both a blessing and a curse. It's brought me moments of unequivocal happiness down to my lowest, most horrifying moments of my life. I will always need to heal others. I will always need a deeper connection. And I will always sacrifice for the greater good. Learning how to not give up my entire self and my soul has been the absolute hardest, hardest part of my empathic journey um, and not allowing others to drain me of that precious energy. So that was a huge thing for me was just giving all of me without questioning it. I would just give everyone the deepest parts of me because I would feel vulnerable with people, overly vulnerable with people when I didn't need to be. And and like I said, that some of these things are just very unique to me, but I've always been that type of person to kind of give everybody all of me and I didn't have any healthy boundaries. And that was a huge sign that I was an empath because I just really had no boundaries whatsoever, which leads me to my next point, which is blurred boundaries. Um, as an empath, saying no is the hardest thing that I've ever had to learn. I talked a little bit about this on the boundaries episode. This is why, because not standing up for myself has kind of kept me in the shadows most of my life, and I am now barely letting the light illuminate my inner goddess to kind of harness my own destiny. But empaths will always struggle with saying no, uh, unless you have healthy boundaries or you're actively working to have healthy boundaries. But that was definitely true for me. I had blurred boundaries most of my life and it got me into a lot of trouble and a lot of heartache and a lot of pain. And so like I urge you to set healthy boundaries, whether you are an empath or not, it's so important. But if you are an empath, this is even more so important 
for leading a, a healthy and balanced and mentally well life. The next thing on my list is losing friends and family. Uh, for me, being an empath was definitely isolating in a way. Uh, with a big heart comes big losses, and families can misinterpret empathy as an attempt to suffocate. And my need to understand this has kind of pushed some people away, but it comes from a good place. And I've realized now in my life that those people just weren't ready to evolve and or have fulfilled their purpose in my life journey. And you're going to lose people once you come into your power as an empath. It will definitely isolate you from the people who can no longer push you around, who would misuse your empathy, who would, you know, just bring toxic behaviors into your world and your space. Um, empaths have a very low tolerance for energy vampires, people who just come into your life to drain you of your energy, and some people will abuse the shit out of it. Um, I've had people, you know, who just vent to me 24-7, like I'm their on-call therapist, and it's exhausting. And sometimes setting those boundaries um, means losing people, and that's okay. I mean, you have to protect yourself and your mental health. And I've definitely learned over the years that it's it's going to rub some people the wrong way. And there's really not much that you can do about that. Um, so I guess being comfortable with losing friends and family is just something that comes with being an empath for me personally. Uh, I don't know if it's the same for everybody, but it definitely holds true for me. And the last thing that I had on that list was that I never harbor hatred in a way. Um, this is my biggest character flaw and my biggest character trait. I do not carry hate with me. It serves no purpose. While I may be hurt and destroyed on the inside, I still want to see you eat, just not at my table if you've done me wrong. I'm very much of that mentality that, you know, I want to see people thrive and live wonderful, healthy lives, um, even if that doesn't include me. And I'm totally okay with that. There are people who I probably should or could easily hate. But for me, love and understanding will always outshine that. And this makes it really hard to move on or identify when I'm being manipulated or used. And this goes, I mean, more, more so for relationships, I think, like um, personal relationships, with my previous partners, it was very difficult to understand when I was being manipulated because I always wanted to see the good in that person to a fault. I would never hate them no matter what they did to me. I always believed that, that there was a good part of them and it prevented me from walking away sooner than I probably should have. Um, it kept me in toxic situations longer. Um, I just, I had too much empathy to the point that I completely understood where they were coming from. And so it was really difficult for me to hate people. Um, and like I said, this has hurt me and helped me in many ways. Um, because, you know, in some cases, I've had really great, awesome outcomes of friendships or relationships where people were like, wow, I can't understand why you don't hate me right now. And I'm like, I can't hate you because I understand exactly where you're coming from. Um, but it's also hurt me in some, you know, relationships where I stayed a little bit too long and then things got a little bit too far and, you know, things happen. But I have better practices in place now to prevent that from happening 
hopefully. I mean, you can't change horrible, ugly people, but you can change how you respond or receive that in the future. Um, that was huge for me. So just never really being able to hate anybody was a huge sign that I was an empath because I knew exactly why they were doing what they were doing and it was awful. So that was kind of my list of what being an empath for me is like a little bit personally. Um, but I'm going to transition over to some of the major points in the empath survival guide that really stuck out to me um, and, and really cemented the idea that I was an empath. And she starts off with this beautiful quote in the book um, that goes, if you feel as if you don't fit into this world, it's because you're here to create a better one. And the author of that quote is unknown, but I just think it's beautiful because I definitely felt like I didn't fit in and I felt very different from other people. Um, but ever since I've kind of found this empath concept, I feel very like I have my place and I know what my place is. And I think it's a beautiful trait now that I can use to help others. Orloff starts her book by giving a lot of background about her experience as an empath as well. And obviously she's a medical doctor um, and she's worked with pac patients. So she has a lot of hands-on experience in the book. But I think one of the most interesting things that stuck out to me in the first few pages is that she clarifies that empaths feel things first and then think. And this is very similar to highly sensitive people where we can sense subtle energy which in Eastern healing traditions is known as Shakti or Prana, which I've learned through my yoga practice. But we take that subtle energy and we absorb it into our bodies. And another term for empaths that you'll find in a lot of the literature and research on empaths is highly sensitive people. And that's essentially what empaths are, but just to a much, much more serious degree. And I think highly sensitive people is, is a good term because, I mean, essentially that is what it is, but I don't know. I think empaths, there's a very spiritual side to it that can't always be explained by science that I lean into a little bit more, and that's just my personality. But I mean, if you're thinking of it at, on a basic level, you can think of empaths as just very highly sensitive people, but they do feel things first and then they think about them. Uh, this is contrary to how most people operate. They think about things and then they base that emotion on what their perspective is on the situation. Empaths don't do that. They're completely backwards. So if I walk into a room, I'm, a, I'm assessing the feeling and the vibe and the energy of the room. And then I'm thinking about everything in in those terms. So if I feel like there is tension in the room or someone is anxious or angry, I respond to that before I think about why they might be anxious or angry. So I'm very responsive to the emotions and the the feelings before I actually think through things. And that's where a lot of the intuitiveness kind of comes in. Important to note that there's different types of empaths that uh, Orloff cites in her book. Um, I've gone over this on Instagram before several times and a lot of people related to it. I don't know most of these. I just know what I am, um, but I'm going to read them off anyways in case any of them resonate with you. But some of the different types of empaths include physical, 
empaths, emotional empaths, intuitive empaths, telepathic, precognitive, dream empaths, mediumship, plant empaths, earth empaths, and animal empaths. Um, I definitely fall on the more emotional empath side um, and animal empath. Uh, I get very attached to my pets and my like more so than most people do. Like they are my children. They are living, breathing little bodies with meat machines in their brain. And I, I treat them like they're little humans. And I always have. And I probably always will. But I'm definitely a little bit more of an intuitive empath. I don't know about like telepathic, dream empaths, mediumship. Those are kind of outside of my scope because I don't experience those things. But if you do, you might be an empath in that area. Um, definitely do some research, buy the book, read about it, figure yourself out. I don't have much for you in that area, but they do exist. It's also very interesting in her book. Um, she talks about being able to tell as a parent when babies are empaths. So this isn't something that comes about in life sporadically, it can after trauma, like a very big traumatic event, or if you were raised in a dysfunctional household where you were uh, raised to kind of be hypersensitive to people's emotions in order to avoid turbulence, obviously uh, you can develop empath traits through that, but generally uh, pe most people are born as an empath or that's the belief, you know, that's my belief. Um, is that you can tell when babies are empaths. And Orloff touches on this in her book by saying that these babies will be more sensitive to light, smells, touch, movement, temperature, and sound. Um, so these babies will have a very low threshold for sensory overload. Um, and you'll be able to tell when they're, they're reacting to those kinds of things a little bit more than babies normally would. And you'll definitely notice this as the children grow up They'll tend to be more sensitive, um, more emotional, uh, and very tied to overstimulation. So that's interesting. I mean, I don't know how I was as a baby, but I know that as a child, I was definitely more sensitive to a lot of those things. Um, and that's why I had so much depression and anxiety growing up. And I did care so much what other people thought of me. And I'd like to believe that's because my threshold for sensory overload was extremely low which I just think is super interesting. Orloff goes into a lot of the medical background for empaths, which is essentially what got me super excited about doing my research in college. Um, Orloff found that there is a mirror neuron system that empaths are thought to have. Um, well, everybody has mirror neurons, right, in their body. It's a group of cells that mirror other people's emotions. So that's where empathy typically comes from. Um, if somebody's crying, you know, you'll see it on their face and your neurons will recognize like, oh, they're crying, they're upset, they're sad. That makes me sad. So I'm going to mirror those emotions um, in order to be empathetic and help them through the situation. It's a very normal human response. But empaths are thought to have hyper-responsive mirror neurons, which makes them resonate much, much more deeply with others' feelings. And again, this comes with that, like, absorbing other people's emotions. So our mirror neuron system is hyper-responsive, and that way we really take on those emotions of other people, and we don't know how to separate 
what's our emotion from what belongs to other people. And I think that's the biggest thing that most people don't know about empaths is it's very, it can be pretty scientific in terms of like, this system exists in our bodies as normal human beings. So it's very possible that empaths have hyper-responsive mirror neurons that create an elevated response, um, which I think is just, it's so fascinating and it's so cool to like see this research. I, I think it's amazing that we have the science and the technology to like look into this research and kind of bounce off of it to try to describe something like an empath. Um, she also talks about increased dopamine sensitivity. Uh, like some people need less dopamine to stay happy, which is the case for me. I am an introverted empath, so I don't require the extroversion that comes from outside validation. There are extroverted empaths who need to vibe off of other people in groups and they need that social stimulation and they need that extra dopamine from those situations to kind of stay afloat and be happy. And people like me who are introverted empaths, we like a lot of alone time. We don't need a lot of dopamine to maintain happiness. Like we have increased dopamine sensitivity. So the littlest things make me happy. I could sit in my room all day. Like this podcast is probably going to keep me on a high for the next couple hours because I just, I love being by myself and it doesn't take much to keep me happy. A little outing is like, oh my gosh, a hike in nature if I could just wake up, like sleep all day, wake up, be alone for a couple hours, go out in nature, and then come home and be alone again, I am completely content with that. Not everybody is like that. I totally understand that. But for me, that is 100% the case. Orloff cites a lot of evidence of synesthesia, um, which is a neurological condition where two different senses are paired in the brain. So if you are somebody who sees color when you hear a piece of music or you can taste words, which is actually a thing, like synesthesia exists, it's very fascinating. If you ever do research on it, it's so interesting. I've actually, I know people who can taste colors, um, which I think is just so wild. But Orloff talks about synesthesia and how this relates to empaths like Isaac Newton, Billy Joel, both had synesthesia. Same idea with empaths feeling other people's emotions. It's those two senses that are paired in the brain. So it's like you're sensing their their emotions. You're sensing, I mean, for some people, it's even triggered through smell, like through vision, through touch. Like this concept of empaths is so wide. But for me, it's mostly intuition and emotions. Like most of it comes from just intuitive just knowing when something is wrong or knowing what someone's going to do or say or I don't know how to explain it. It's just very intuitive for me and it's very emotional for me. And the, like the evidence of synesthesia kind of supports that that empath construct when it comes to feeling others' emotions, which I think is interesting. Very interestingly, she also cites some research from Ohio State University Um and she claims that empaths are more sensitive to everything, including medication. So if you are an empath who needs medication because you have um, a comorbid disorder like depression or anxiety, it's totally okay to use medication. It's totally acceptable. Just find the dosage that works for you. 
find a physician that you trust, uh, find somebody who listens to you. Um, and you know, you can obviously live a much more productive, healthy life if you are on medication for some people. Uh, for me, I'm very sensitive to medications. I haven't found a really good physician, which is why I turned to cannabis. And my therapist was completely on board with that. But it is important to note that empaths are more sensitive to things like medication. And Ohio State University researchers found that Tylenol decreases empathy, which was important to note because 52 million Americans take a substance that contain acetamidive, I cannot say it, (laughs) the chemical in Tylenol. They take this substance every week. 52 million Americans take a substance containing this every single week. So, I mean, the more that we can actually uncover about empaths and what these drugs and medications are doing to our bodies, the better that we can help people who identify as empaths. Um, And the, you know, it's just, it's just so mind-blowing that Tylenol, they found, decreases empathy. Like, and so many people use Tylenol and are kind of numbing down these emotions. And then you have people like me who take more holistic approaches to self-care and managing my empathness and my anxiety. Um, Like, just reading that is so mind-blowing. And it makes me so grateful that I kind of don't rely on medications because I'm just authentically myself and I'm not numbing down my empathy. But it's just so important to note that that like that research is out there. It exists. And so this book just really covers all these facets of empaths and all these different coping skills and all this different research and science that Judith Orloff has found throughout her career that support this idea that empaths are definitely gifted and they operate very differently from other people and that, you know, it's not always a bad thing that if you can learn to harness it and kind of control it, it can kind of make you a superhuman in a way. Um, And I think that I lean on that a lot because I kind of see it as my superpower to be able to be an empath and connect with people in the way that I do. I think it's very special and I've built my whole career around it and I'm so grateful to be an empath and I'm so grateful that I found this book and my therapist that kind of led me to this understanding so I could step into my power and really feel confident about who I am and that I'm not weird because a lot of times I feel very strange and unlike other people Um, but I know it's for a good reason because I am an empath and I'm special I'm just kidding but I mean sometimes I really do feel that way (laughs) Um, and when I was in school I really resonated with the teachings of Carl Jung he was a psychologist um, if you've never heard of him He did a lot of work on, um, not like the, he did the, he wrote a lot about the shadow self and the different, uh, personality types. Uh, he did a lot of psychological research in that area. And he had a quote in the book that as a child, I felt myself to be alone and I am still because I know things and must hint at things that others apparently know nothing of. And for the most part, do not want to know. Loneliness does not come from having no people about one, but from being unable to communicate the things that seem important to oneself, or from holding certain views which others find inadmissible. Which I think is just so interesting because I really felt 
lonely and I felt very strange for thinking of the things that I thought of. Um, and I didn't, other people didn't always share those beliefs with me or think that they were important. And so it was very hard to find my tribe of like-minded people and not feel so lonely because not a lot of people think like me, which I just, I don't know, I guess I'm used to it at this point. I know that I'm different and I see things differently and I navigate the world a lot differently than other people. Um, But it's just interesting that Carl Jung also had this realization. And it's interesting that I gravitated towards his work in college because I really believe that Carl Jung was an empath as well. And a lot of his teachings uh, really cultivate being a healthy empath in a way. So if you feel alone or like you're strange because you might be an empath and you're not alone and uh, your feelings are valid and I've been there and all you need to do is just do some research and, you know, get to know yourself a little bit better. And I feel like I've met enough people throughout my lifetime that I can confidently say I'm quite different than most people and that will forever make me feel like I'm alone and there is something terribly wrong with me. And I've always felt this way and I will probably always continue to feel this way even though it's not true. I have a lot of fallacies that I believe about myself, one of them being that I can control everything and everyone. Um, But I can't and that's why it's a fallacy and it's also a fallacy to believe that you're alone in how you feel and that you will always be alone because you are not alone and I'm here for you and you know somehow we'll we'll find each other in this crazy world and if you're here then we've already found each other and I'm super grateful for that. I do have some tips um, straight from the book and from my own personal life that may or may not help if you do identify as an empath or you know somebody who is You can give them some suggestions. The book goes into a lot of tips to alleviating adrenal fatigue, which is basically your nervous system response to stress or, you know, anything that happens in life um, to avoid that fatigue because being an empath is very exhausting. It's very exhausting constantly being on the defense with your emotions It's very exhausting taking on the emotions of others. And if you don't have the tools, then it can feel very draining. And those people can become energy vampires that just suck the life and energy out of you. And I don't think people realize how exhausting being an empath can be. Like, I love what I do and I love being an empath. Plus, I'm a Virgo. Plus, I am an INFJ. If you've taken the personalities quiz, Um, INFJs are pretty much like the therapists of the world (laughs) and they always want to help people, but they don't know their own limits. And so all these facets of my personality kind of cultivate this like slave to society mindset that I have, which I'm trying to break, but it's still very much a part of me. But essentially it's just, you know, your nervous system is working overtime and that can be exhausting and that can lead to fatigue and burnout, which is why I talk about these things so much, which is why hopefully now you kind of understand why these are so essential to have in my tool belt um, because they all kind of intertwine with each other and overlap. So some tips to alleviating adrenal fatigue from the book from Orloff herself are eating a whole food diet, which includes less sugar. So diet is always going to be very important for regulating your nervous system. There's a lot of science behind this. Even if you're not an empath, it has a lot to do with how you process emotions. 
Um, So your diet is very linked to that and you need to be very mindful of it if you are in a situation where you need to manage your signs and symptoms. She recommends adding Himalayan red salt to your diet because you don't want to take in a lot of sodium. I haven't done a lot of research on this and I don't personally do this myself. Maybe I should start and try it and let you guys know how it goes, but um, this is something that I haven't really incorporated quite yet. Uh, She obviously recommends to exercise, to meditate. Those are always going to be the go-tos. Measuring cortisol levels, making sure that your stress is low, you don't have elevated blood pressure, um, you're taking care of your body and you're regulating your nervous system. Making sure to rest a lot. Micro naps and naps are important, especially if you're an empath and you're constantly overwhelmed and overloaded with sensory stimulation. Making sure to take a break and take a rest and just find moments of peace and quiet throughout your day. Uh, She recommends taking B vitamins daily as well as two to 5,000 milligrams of vitamin C daily, which actually there is a lot of science behind uh, correlations between empathy and your vitamin intake. So I've heard that vitamin B is very important, vitamin C is very important, and vitamin D is very important. And ironically, I had gone to the doctor and I am vitamin D deficient. And I read somewhere that vitamin D deficiencies are actually very related to anxiety and depression, which I found super interesting because once I figured it out, I started to take vitamin D pills and I've kind of got that regulated now. And I did notice my anxiety decrease a little bit, but I was also making a lot of other life changes at the time. Like I stopped smoking cigarettes and I stopped drinking as much coffee because caffeine also elevates your anxiety. So just being mindful of those things, taking your vitamins, going to the doctor, making sure that, you know, you're not deficient in anything and then kind of making that up throughout the day. Vitamin C, if you just take some emergency every day, you can't overdose on it. So if you take one of those packets, I think it's 5,000 milligrams I think it's either 2,000 or 5,000 milligrams of vitamin C in an emergency packet. If you take that once a day, like your body will take in what it needs. And then obviously you'll just pee out the rest. Like it's, there's no harm, no foul. I highly recommend doing that. I love taking vitamin C. I feel so much better after I do take it. I've noticed a difference in my life. I don't know. Maybe it's just me personally, but I highly recommend trying it. Another tip is to eliminate energy vampires in your life, and this requires setting healthy boundaries, um, cutting people out altogether, you know, kind of noticing who is taking your energy and who is draining it, and being very mindful of, is does this energy belong to me or does it belong to someone else? So if you start to feel anxiety or you start to feel upset and you're like, wait, I wasn't upset five minutes ago. Like, why am I upset now? It might be important to just step back and assess the situation and ask yourself, physically ask yourself, does this belong to me or does it belong to someone else? And if it belongs to someone else, then you need to cut it off and eliminate those people because they're only going to trigger you more. Another tip is nature. Spending a lot of time in nature is very healing. It's very grounding. Um, It's called groundwork. There's a lot of science behind walking around outside barefoot, there is something grounding about the action of walking on the floor and grounding yourself that is very healing, especially to empaths. Baths are huge if you're like a, 
like me. I don't know. Water is very healing. I take a lot of baths because there is a belief in the empath community that water kind of absorbs a lot of the emotions that you take in through the day and you can kind of release that if you sit in a warm bath and kind of find time to rejuvenate and rest and restore your energy. Um, just, I don't know, baths are very, very healing for me personally. Another tip is to manage your time wisely. Uh, you know, obviously being mindful of how you're spending your time and what you're spending your time doing, giving yourself lots of breaks and time to recharge, um, especially if you start getting overwhelmed and sensory overloaded. Um, it's important to step back and have those moments in your day where you just kind of recuperate, especially if you know you're going to be doing something stressful or you're going to be in a crowd of people. Um, like when I'm in crowds, I pick up on literally everything. If there is a thousand people around me, I'm picking up on a thousand different people's energies and you can imagine how exhausting and draining that is for me. Um, even when I'm streaming on Twitch through the computer, I'm picking up on everyone who is talking to me's emotions, their tone, the way they type things out, the way that, you know, they say things to me. Um, I'm very hyper aware of everything that comes my way. And so, you know, just manage your time, find those rest breaks, find the time to unwind and decompress uh, is so important for people who identify as empaths. And lastly, practicing self-compassion is so important. Really nurturing yourself and I guess just being kinder to yourself, you know, if you can't take on the world, it's okay. There's a lot of good loving kindness meditations out there. Um, I highly urge you to try. There are some that are as little as five minutes um, and some that are as long as an hour. But I've had loving compassion meditations where I've cried afterwards and they were only five minutes. And my favorite one is called loving kindness meditation. You can find it just by Googling it. Um, you can find it on YouTube and it requires you to like look at these people that you love in your life and tell them, you know, I love you. I forgive you. You are whole. And then it ends with looking at yourself in a mirror and telling yourself that, you know, I love you, I support you, I forgive you, you were whole. And sometimes those can be so healing for empaths or non-empaths as well. I'm speaking from an empathic point of view because I identify as an empath. But if you're listening and you're not an empath, like these things can still be beneficial and they can still be helpful to you. Um, but I'm obviously speaking from for from and for my my empathness but the, i mean they're still very awesome meditations and i highly recommend them i have some tips for communicating with an empath this comes solely from me this is not from orloff's book while they might actually be in the book and i'm just misremembering um these are actually things that i wrote down in my phone in my notepad that i just kind of figured out through my relationships with other people um, so I have three tips for communicating with an empath. If you know an empath and you are not one yourself, this could be useful. Uh, the first one is ask if they have headspace. This is so important because empaths tend to unwillingly take on others' emotions. And so asking for permission is a really healthy boundary to uphold for the sake of the empath and for your own sake. 
um, because empaths can be easily triggered to shut down if overwhelmed or if they completely drain themselves. So this was so cool to learn for myself and my friendships and my relationships by asking if they had headspace. So I like to ask people, hey, do you have headspace um, before I vent? Because it's preparing them to let them know that I'm going to vent. And it's asking if they if I have their permission to kind of unload on them. So it's a nice little boundary to have. And if you're communicating with an empath, it's so important because sometimes somebody will ask me, hey, do you have headspace? And I will be very honest and I will have to say, no, I'm dealing with a lot right now. I really don't have headspace. If it's something like super heavy and intense, I can't deal with it right now. And so it's nice to have that option to be like, no, I can't take that on right now. Because what we find is that empaths often, obviously we don't have boundaries, right? We, we have a hard time saying no. So if somebody just comes up to us and like I've already covered, uh, people tend to vent out their problems to empaths. Um, it's been my whole life. People will just dump things on me without ever asking if I have headspace for it. And then I have to sit there and absorb it. And now I'm walking around all day being upset and depressed because somebody vented something to me that was really heavy that I wasn't prepared for. And maybe I have to go do something that day. And now I feel awful because somebody unloaded something on me that I wasn't ready for. And it's just really unfair to the empath and the person. And so asking for headspace is like a really nice way of being like, hey, can you handle this right now without directly asking that? So asking if somebody has headspace can be so helpful for a non-empath or an empath. It's just really great life advice before you dump things on somebody. Another tip is if you're out in public, constantly checking in on the empath, making sure they're okay, making sure they're comfortable. This can come in the form of questions like, is this environment okay? Do you need to take a break? Do we need to step away for a minute? I get a lot of sensory overload when I'm out in public. I don't go out to concerts very often. I don't go to crowded places very often. I get anxiety. I want to find the exit. I get overwhelmed. Like I said, I pick up on everything. So every little thing that people do can sometimes irritate me or, you know, if kids are screaming in the background, you know, I can only handle so much of it being an outsider um, and an empath. So checking in with empaths is really important. Just make sure that they're comfortable. Just, you know, it doesn't hurt to ask, hey, are you doing okay? Is this environment okay? Do we need to step outside for a couple minutes? I couldn't really mean the world to somebody who identifies as an empath, just to know that other people care about them and their emotions and gives them an opportunity to be like, yeah, I need to take a little break. Like I need some peace and quiet to recharge. And that's okay. Like there's nothing wrong with that. My last tip is to vividly describe your own emotions and feelings to an empath because empaths tend to absorb and misread emotions. Empaths prefer clear and direct language. So I can only assume so much about a person, but obviously the best thing you can ever do is just communicate, be very clear and direct with how you feel. Never sidestep, never make somebody guess how you're feeling and that should just be human nature to not do that. I am very clear and direct for the most part when I interact with people. I can tell them exactly what I want, exactly what I need, exactly what I'm feeling, um, and exactly what I want. So just 
be open and communicative with somebody. If you know that they're an empath and if you are an empath, um, be very clear and direct with what you need as well. Communication goes a very long way with an empath and it makes the world of a difference when you're trying to communicate with them and keep them level-headed. So if you are an empath, I definitely recommend diaphragmatic breathing, which helps to kind of move stagnant energy in the body. So if you ever see me in public deep breathing, I'm just calming my anxiety, my nervous system. Um, let's normalize using mental health tools. It usually takes me 45 seconds to a minute to refocus my mind and I'm usually able to return to my business and with more practice then I kind of hope my anxiety goes down as it has for years now doing these practices. But diaphragmatic breathing is very huge. I can identify now when my breathing is getting a little bit labored or getting a little bit short and I'm very good about being able to do grounding exercises and diaphragmatic breathing and they really do help regulate my nervous system and calm me down and I can physically feel my heartbeat slowing um, and going back to a normal pace. When I'm overloaded or I have too much sensory stimulation or I'm taking on too much, uh, my heart rate goes up and I start to sweat and my nervous system is in complete fight or flight mode. Um, diaphragmatic breathing usually snaps me out of that as well as doing some grounding techniques, which if you haven't heard of grounding, please Google it. It's so cool. It's basically five things that you can see, four things you can touch, three things you can taste, two things you can smell, and one thing you can, I, I forgot what the fifth one is, but um, it's a very quick, effective way to kind of regulate your nervous system again. Um, I said I was going to circle back to this tip in the beginning, which was if you do tend to absorb other people's emotions and you don't know how to separate them, I will physically take my fingers and make little scissors, little finger scissors, right? And I, I, I imagine, like I did this with my mom, when I would notice myself picking up on her anxiety and I would start to feel anxious for literally no reason because I was having a good ass day. And all of a sudden, my mom's anxiety like became my anxiety. I would physically imagine like an umbilical cord connecting me and her. And I would take my little finger scissors and I would physically cut the cord. Like I would actually take my hand, make the scissors and cut the invisible cord between me and her and cut off the energy. And that physical action of like telling my brain, I'm cutting this off. It does not belong to me and I don't want it was helpful for me in my journey. I don't know if it'll work for you, but for me, it was very helpful. Like I would just go out in public and be like, snip, snip, this doesn't belong to me. Snip, snip, this energy doesn't belong to me. And it was so healing. Um, I can't explain it. It sounds so silly, but sometimes it's the silliest things that make the biggest impact. So if it helped me, you know, maybe it'll help somebody else, but just physically cut that energy off. You don't need it. It doesn't belong to you. And of course, the loving kindness meditation, I highly recommend it, even if you do not identify as an empath, to try it at least once in your life. It is so awesome and so healing. Um, if you do try it, please let me know. I would love to hear some feedback on how that worked for you. I broke down in tears after my first one. I was just a whole ass mess. Um, looking at myself in the mirror and telling myself that I loved myself was very emotional for me. Um, I had never been that kind to myself before. 
And so it, it brought me a lot of wonderful healing and I wish that for you too. So please tap into those meditations as much as possible. Um, and that's pretty much all I have on empaths today as we're, you know, an hour and some odd minutes in already. Um, like I said, there's just so much to uncover in college. I touched on it briefly, but I did do an entire research project for my honors thesis on empaths. Like I said, I finally convinced my mentor and I, I convinced him that empaths were a thing. And he believed in me and my research. And we found that, you know, empaths do have more affective empathy as opposed to cognitive empathy. Um, I'm going to be publishing that paper hopefully within the next year. Um, and we hope to get it into some medical journals uh, so we can educate people about empaths and really show people that empaths are a different breed. It is kind of a superpower to be an empath. And, um, you know, there's space for empaths in the world to be successful and to be good therapists, good social workers, good teachers, good doctors, if they know how to harness that, that overload and they kind of learn how to rein in their empathic abilities, whatever they may be. So if any of this resonates with you, I highly recommend to go buy The Empath Survival Guide by Judith Orloff or look up some research on empaths, do a quick Google search, take a quick quiz. Um, I'm always advocating for that. And I hope some of this helps somebody or helps to start the conversation a little bit. I would love to do another episode on this um, in the future and circle back around and kind of see how it helped other people. But yeah, my name is Nina and I am an empath. I feel things way too deeply and I am overly sensitive and I am proud. I am a highly sensitive person and I am proud. <laughs> and I hope that this resonates with somebody. Before we end off, I just wanted to quickly ask as well, a lot of, or not a lot, but a couple of people have brought it to my attention that they are visual um, and they would like videos that are uploaded to YouTube. I liked the idea of the podcast because I was a little bit more hidden. Uh, it wasn't, you know, focused around me, but it's been brought to my attention that some people like to see that. Um, they like to see my facial expressions and my hand movements and they, you know, it helps them to kind of feel a little bit more a part of the conversation for them. If this is something that you would like to see in the future, then I can record uh, myself actually re recording the podcast. Like I could have my webcam on and I could actually record the entire podcast with video and upload that to YouTube. If that is something that you're interested in, please let me know. Um, I'm debating on whether or not this is something that I want to do. If you just want to continue listening to it as a podcast on Spotify or Google or Apple or whatever, um, please let me know that as well. Obviously, I have my Twitter, Weed Wild Woke PC. I have Twitch and I have Instagram, Nina Pizza Queen, that you can reach out to me on and let me know. Um, I'd be interested to to know how many people would would rather watch a YouTube video than just listening to the podcast on those platforms, um, if there's actually a space for that. And if I get enough feedback, you know, maybe that's something that I could consider doing in the future. But, but yeah, let me know. I don't know. I'm curious. Um, 
It makes me a little nervous, but you know, like everything else in life, sometimes you just got to get used to the idea or just jump in and do it and try it and see what happens. So if that's something that you guys want to see, then I'm more than happy to try something different. But yeah, for now, that's it. I appreciate you so much. Again, you are worthy. If you identify as an empath or you don't, you're a beautiful human being. You're perfect exactly the way you are. If you are trying to improve yourself, I hope you found something useful in this episode. I hope something was interesting to you. I hope you have a beautiful week. I hope you do something for yourself this week. I hope you take some time to nurture a hobby or just do something that makes you happy with no pressure from the outside world, you know, whether that's taking a bath or changing up your hair color. I hope you go into it with confidence you are worthy, you are loved, you definitely belong, and I cannot wait to talk to you guys next week for another episode on discipline, which was uh, requested by a listener and a good friend of mine. She wanted to know a little bit more about my take on disciplining um, and self-discipline and disciplining others and so on and so forth, so we'll see how that evolves. I appreciate you being here please stay beautiful. Please be a light in this world for others. And I will see you guys next week. Stay high, friends. Bye.